Welcome back to Inside Marketing Design. I'm Charlie, I'm the creative director at ConvertKit and I started this show because I wanted to dig deep into the processes and principles and projects of other brand and marketing design teams in tech. And this is a very special episode today because I'm speaking with Tatiana van Kampenhout who is a staff designer on the web presence and platform team at Stripe. Stripe is the platform that powers payments for retailers, for SaaS companies, for creators, it's used all over the internet and is known for being really easy to use and reliable. But in the design world, Stripe is also known for their beautiful website design. They really set a high standard with their marketing site. They always do really interesting things with it. They drive a lot of the trends in the design industry. So of course, I'm very excited today to bring you an interview with one of the designers behind that great work. Tatiana has been at Stripe for nearly five years now and Stripe is globally distributed at the moment, but it has dual headquarters in SF and in Dublin. There are currently around 5,000 people in the company, but that number is probably already outdated because it's growing really fast to like 6,000 by the end of the year. Tatiana is originally from Belgium, but now based in Seattle. And obviously having been at Stripe for so long, she's been a part of a lot of projects there and seen a lot of growth over the years. We went into detail specifically about the design process behind Stripe's latest website design, the 2020 version, as well as talking about the design team structure and how it feels to work on designs that end up getting copied all over the internet. Before we get into to it though, I want to say a huge thanks to Webflow for sponsoring this season of Inside Marketing Design. If you're like me and your coding skills don't quite match up to the level of your web design ideas, you absolutely need to try Webflow. It is a no-code website building tool where you can generate production-ready code using a visual editor that, as a designer, you'll feel right at home in. The interaction feature is one of my favorite parts because it's so easy to add movement and life to your designs with it much easier than figuring out the JavaScript yourself. Uh, let's just say that. Try it out for yourself at insidemarketingdesign.co slash Webflow. But now let's get into the episode and take a look inside marketing design at Stripe. Welcome to the show, Tatiana. I'm so excited to have you here because I mean, Stripe is just such a, it's iconic right in the design industry. I feel like every time Stripe releases a new homepage or something, I don't know, you're going to see copies of it a few months later while everyone else plays catch up of the trends that you're setting. And so I'm excited to hear from you and hear about how those trends happen at Stripe because, you know, for you, they're not following a trend. They're just like your design style, which is super cool. <laughs> well, I'm very excited to be here. So you work on the web presence and platform team at Stripe. And that was like not a team name I'd heard before. Could we maybe start by you telling us a little bit about the design team structure at Stripe and uh, yeah, how, how your team fits into it? Yeah, of course. So the design team at Stripe is currently like a little bit over a hundred people, um, but that's like with all the sub teams. So about 50%, maybe a little bit over 50% of that is product design. But then we have mm -hmm. other teams, for instance, like our brand team, our editorial team, our design operations and product research team and the web presence and platform team, which I think I'm just going to start calling it WPP because that's what we call it internally. And it's a lot easier to pronounce than web presence and platform. Yep. But yeah, my team is basically the team that is responsible for the like web presence of Stripe. So like any surface we touch on the internet, but then also the whole infrastructure behind it. So like the CMS that powers it, the like databases, APIs, like everything um, that goes on in the background. So we're a team that's built out of both designers, front-end engineers, and back-end engineers. So actually within the WPP team, we currently have an experiences team 
um, which is mostly designers and front-end engineers. So those are the people that mostly work on like Stripe.com and like the landing pages you often see on Twitter and other places. And then we have the platform team um, and they're basically just like the team, like making sure we can do all the work we're doing. Mm, I like it. So it's like teams within a team as part of yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. And uh, who do you report into? Like who who leads your team? Yeah, so um, Alex Norcliffe is the head of WPP. So he's basically the manager of both of those sub teams. Um, and actually side mm -hmm. note, he always tells me that he needs more Twitter followers. So if anyone wants to follow him on Twitter, he would greatly appreciate that. Cool. These teams are made up of designers and non-designers. I love that that brings that together. How do you fit into the wider design org? Do you meet as designers often or does like WPP meet with product? How does that work? Yeah, um, we have a couple of different meetings during the week. We actually kick off our Mondays where we meet with the whole design team together. So like right now, this is like a Zoom meeting cool. with like over 100 people um, where we kind of go over like the highlights and like recruiting updates and just like things that everyone needs to know. And then we spin off into our own like smaller standups. Um, so we have a standup that is like WPP. So still experiences and platform together. The stuff that the like platform engineers work on definitely still affects our work as well. So we do that mm. once a week. And then we have more standups that are like experience specific throughout the week. So that's like the smaller team, I think. Currently, we have um, six people on that team. Um, and so we meet on like a very like regular cadence to just like talk about our work. And I would assume like the details gets more and more, well, more and more detailed, the like smaller the team and more focused it is. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, as you go through these different meetings and standups. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I think we've already heard a bit about what your team focuses on, you know, focusing on Stripe.com and the landing pages and the the platform little that's built on throughout the rest of the design org. What are the main areas of focus or projects that let's call them non-product? I'm using quote marks for yeah. anyone listening to the audio version. Non-product designers at Stripe work on. Yeah, um, maybe I'll start with the brand team because um, that's a team we work mm. with um, most closely. Um, so they're responsible for like anything from like advertising to like marketing campaigns to culture to like 360 events. For instance, we um, organize this conference every year, which is called Session. So it's a user conference. And we used to organize this as a like physical event. Like people would go to a place and it would be like thousands of users meeting in one place. And that team would be cool. responsible for everything from like the keynotes to like, just like the venue design to like, just like all the little design things that you can imagine. Um, but then last year we actually like took that virtual. Um, so then our team kind of started collaborating with their team because that was more like more a web presence project. Um, so then it became a collaboration, but they also work on other things like Stripe makes like Stripe cards, like credit cards. So those are like physical cards that need to be shipped within a certain packaging. And same for like our terminal, like that's the Stripe reader that you can use to like scan your card when you pay somewhere. So all of those things need to be designed and packaged. So the brand team is mostly responsible for those types of projects. And then there's the editorial team. Some of you may know this, but Stripe actually has an in-house publishing agency called Stripe Press. So we publish our own books. We also so have, cool. yeah, it's, it's actually really cool. I, I kind of wish I was on that team, but I'm not nearly talented enough to be <laughs> designing book covers. So I definitely can't do that. But we also publish or used to publish this um, magazine called Increment. Uh, unfortunately, that's coming to an end. I think we're going to ship one more issue of it. We've had like a really good run. Mm -hmm. 
And we had a whole team focused on that as well. And with that, we worked with uh, freelancers who would make illustrations for the magazine, but we would still make the whole magazine. Um, and then our team, so the WPP team, would be responsible for updating the Increment Magazine website, which is the same for the Stripe Press website. I actually hope that by the time this podcast goes out, um, the new Stripe Press website will be live because it is a gem. It's so amazing. There's a lot of 3D stuff going on, just one of those projects where you're like, how did they do it? I didn't work on it, so I actually don't really know how to do it. I just, anytime my team members were like sharing progress, I was like, oh my God, like, I can't believe we're doing this. It's really cool. I love that you have those moments internally as well, because you know that's what everyone on Twitter and Dribble is going to be saying yeah. once it shifts. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's so fun. When we talked previously, because you were really helpful to me as I was figuring out my own, like, a career transition I made last year into creative director and figuring out the setup of the team, you told me a bit about um, the Stripe team. And you mentioned that it actually turns out that the WPP team ends up driving a lot of the brand direction, even though like technically there's a team called the brand team. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how like, I don't know, I guess, how would you describe the Stripe brand and who forms it? How do you evolve it? And uh, how, how does that all happen? Yeah, yeah, that's a really great question. Um, so historically, the WPP team has always been the team that drives the big redesigns. Um, so even the most recent redesign that shipped in 2020 was driven by our team. I'm not sure it's going to stay that way moving forward because hmm. in the last like even year or so, like we've really built out the teams of brand teams has the brand team has grown significantly. So I think moving forward, that will change. But for now, or like at least in the past, that's how it's been. It's more like we like start off by like basically redesigning the website, but we don't really think about how all of that will translate to other surfaces. So there is a lot of like, collaboration and like cross-pollination between teams but it's basically like we start off with the website and then the brand team kind of takes it from there and thinks about like okay how does this translate to print how does this translate to like more static surfaces because like we can do so much on the website because we can like animate things and we have basically like an empty canvas to work with but they don't have that luxury so yeah we definitely work very closely together um, to make sure everything feels like one brand i definitely want to dig in on that 2020 homepage like redesign or like site redesign i guess because i think that'll be a fascinating like project example to talk through but before we get into that i guess how do you describe the stripe visual brand as it is right now yeah, so we always say that Stripe is for optimists and our visual language should convey the same energy, the same type of kind of hope and motivation and like willingness to succeed. Um, so in practice, what that means is that we will always like favor bright and vivid colors, um, conveying mm. our enthusiasm as opposed to dark tones or pale colors. So that's why like when you go to Stripe.com, there's like a lot of color going on, a lot of like bold typography but that's because we want to convey that like optimism that we have internally and that we want other people to feel as well that makes total sense um and that's obviously what you want you know stripe is all about payments and things like that and you want to be optimistic when you're running a business and wanting things to go up and to the yeah, right that's you know? oh my god the, optimism the is amount of times <laughs> i hear people say up and to the right at stripe it is i'm so tired of hearing it but that's definitely something that people keep saying i'll try not to say yeah. it again for the rest of the episode i promise <laughs> okay <laughs> Okay, let's start talking about this 2020 homepage redesign then. Was this what you just um, read out to us then, what you just said? Was that part of your brief? The site 2020 redesign was kind of an odd project because it wasn't our typical workflow. Because usually when we work on projects, we like 
partner very closely with marketing um, and they kind of come up mm -hmm. with a brief for us and we take it from there. But with Site 2020, this was more um, a like design team driven effort. And obviously we had been getting feedback from like Patrick, our CEO, for instance, that our previous style had kind of like outgrown the type of company we were because Stripe used to be very, mm. very startup focused uh, and very developer focused. But um, at the scale we're at now, we also want to talk to like more like enterprise focused companies or like bigger businesses. So we're trying to find that balance between still being like the cool, like fun, like stride that people used to know, but also being taken more seriously because we're still like dealing with people's yeah. money. So we definitely want to be taken seriously. And then I think like another big factor for like just pushing for that redesign was that um, so many people started copying our previous designs. Yeah. <laughs> so after a while, we just like didn't feel like we were standing out enough anymore. That's kind of how the whole project started, like a combination of like the previous style didn't really meet our business needs anymore. But then also like within our team, we just got frustrated that like the, like, the entire internet looked like Stripe. Yes, yes, yes. And you were there first, yeah, damn it. I know. <laughs> Okay, so you that's where it started. What happens next then when you once you decided that this was a project you were going to tackle, what happens? How does it kick yeah, off? Yeah, so I actually I feel like think back is this all kicked off in 2019, like early days 2019 because mm -hmm. I remember I was still in the San Francisco office and not in the Seattle office. And I remember we started by just doing like brainstorm exercises. We had this like room next to the design area that we can like book for like a few weeks and we would just go there and just like work on like kind of like style frames and just like do like a whole variety of like oh where could we take this and at this point i don't think the wpp team was like that didn't really exist yet at the time i think mm. we had a team called the site team but engineers weren't a part of it yet. So like structurally, like the team definitely looked different. And I know we even um, brought in people from brand and like a designer who worked on Stripe Press just to get like a wider variety of styles, just to like, you know, get the creativity cool. going. And then like once we all started working on these like iterations of like what it could be, so everyone was kind of working on like their own direction, we would print out those direction on like giant like pieces of paper put them on the wall um, and then the executive team would come in. So usually that would be like Patrick and John or sometimes Will, Will Gabrick. And they would kind of like look at it and just kind of just like start spitting out opinions. Uh, but that was super interesting for us to hear because that's kind of where that optimism came from because Patrick was like looking mm. at all of these directions and just like futuristic and optimism were like the two words he kept repeating. So then immediately we know like, oh, this direction is way too dark or this is way too like, because we had directions that were like very print focused. Cause we like, we honestly tried a little mm. bit of everything, but yeah, I definitely felt like he was really like honing in on like those like bright colors and like just, yeah, things that look like bright and happy and optimistic. So he definitely helped us a lot in this process to like define where we wanted the brand to go. I love that. That shows how important it is to get stakeholder feedback early, right? So that you didn't go too far down a route that was like perhaps darker or more serious or like, I don't know. Yeah. Like you said, more print focused, less futuristic. You had that feedback and you, you pulled those words that you kept hearing from him and you were able to apply that and make design decisions based on it. I think that's super yeah. important. Were the designs you were sharing at this stage, how, how fleshed out were they? Were the, are we talking mood boards? Are we talking like drafts they, of a, like a mid fidelity? They were 
kind of like homepage designs, but with fake content, just kind of like, mm. like some of them had like 3D renders of them that like, we wouldn't even know what kind of 3D element we would put on the website. But yeah, it was definitely like trying to show a real website just because I think we've learned that that's the best way to get feedback on something. Cause I think if you're trying to get feedback from people that like aren't full-time in the creative industry, it's really hard for them to ask to use their imagination. So like showing something that could potentially be real, like even though the content isn't real, um, definitely helps them understand like, oh, I could see how this would look on a website. Um, and I think we even did some like mock-ups of like, here's a poster design in the subway, you know, like those typical mock-ups that you can download and just like put your like little image in. Like yeah, definitely. Yeah. Someone holding it up with Exactly, <laughs> definitely did some of those as well. How many designers are working on it this stage you said you'd pulled in people from other teams is this the focus for every designer on that team or is it like full-time for some part-time for others just helping um, out at the time i think we kind of treated this as a sprint so for a few weeks it was mm -hmm. everyone's focus although i i kind of imagine or like remember it being maybe like 80 percent of the focus because there was other work that still needed to get done as well there's always other work isn't there yeah, yeah. i think <laughs> when we were working on it because some people have left that were on the team back in the day and then new people have joined. But I think the, the WPP portion of the people who were involved was four designers. And then mm -hmm. I think like maybe three to four like other designers from different teams. So maybe a total of eight designers in those like first couple of weeks. And then once we really like defined like which direction we wanted to go in, then it was mostly like the WPP team, even though it didn't exist back then. But like... The people who were working on Stripe. What turned into the... Exactly. Yeah. About like four-ish designers um, yeah. ended up this being their project and they took forward once you settled on the direction. Yeah. And what did that look like? How did you split up the work between you? I'm sure a lot of you know BDC. We all call him BDC. His Twitter handle is BDC. His actual name is actually uh, Benjamin de Kock. He's also from Belgium, which is really fun. We used to have two Belgians on the team. Not anymore, because unfortunately <laughs> um, he left after like being at Stripe for seven years. But he was tasked with redesigning the homepage. So he took the homepage on. And then Bill, another person who unfortunately also left, started trying to define the system more, like trying to come up with like components mm. And then Michaela and I, who were the two other designers, were kind of like stress testing the system by redesigning existing product pages, like let's say like the payments page, like just take the same content, but see what that would look like if we start applying those new styles. And then like by doing that, you like immediately like identify things that don't work because I know we like tried a bunch of things with like photography and immediately they're like, oh, I don't know how that is going to scale. So yeah, it was mm -hmm. definitely a team effort, but a lot of that early work was driven um, by BDC and Bill, who unfortunately aren't on the team anymore. Oh, that's fascinating. I love that way of splitting things up too, because this is, I'm like taking notes for myself here. <laughs> We're working on a system right now for the ConvertKit site, which is really like not systematized and the code barely in Figma either. And I like this way of approaching things where one person's like creating the system and another is like stress testing yeah. it and seeing how far we can push it and how useful it can really yeah. be. And even by like, it's, by stress yeah. testing it, like we would come across um, like components that we used to have previously that like we hadn't added to the system yet. So that way everyone could contribute. Mm. It's like, oh, this doesn't exist yet, but we have like a general style so we can start, you know, designing our own components. And honestly, that's still what we're doing today. Like, even though we've launched a redesign, like I think with every project we work on, we realize there's still like pieces missing. So we're constantly like adding to it or like improving existing components. Um, so yeah, it, it never ends. Yeah, that's the great and uh, sometimes frustrating thing about the web, <laughs> yeah. right? It's constantly evolving and there's constantly things to do. Exactly. <laughs> How long did this 
2020 site redesign take do you think from you because you said you started it in early 2019 when would you say you wrapped up with the design portion of it even if it wasn't like fully built yet yeah i think we had most of it like pretty solid maybe by summer of 2019 but then we actually wanted to also do a content overhaul of a lot of our pages Mm. so then we started like actually like building or like designing and building out all of these new or like not new product pages they were existing like product pages but they just like hadn't been touched in so long so we were like if we're gonna ship this like big redesign we shouldn't just redesign the homepage. we should like focus on like our top products so we ended up going for the payments product the connect product and the billing product so then we kind of like divided up the tasks again so i worked on the connect like that was like a microsite i think it like six sub pages so that took me a couple of months and then um ben was still like bdc was still focused on the homepage. i think that was the page that went through the most iterations just because the content kept changing up until Mm -hmm. the last moment Um, But then actually, while we were designing out all of these pages, we were also trying to completely um, shift our code base because our code base, like, I I am probably not the right person (laughs) to like talk about the details here, but our main goal was to move everything to a CMS. (laughs) So, but that that required a lot of just like front end and back end work. So that's actually when we started merging teams as well, just because we realized like the front end Mm. engineers and those like platform engineers were all working on the same project. like our big site 2020 project. And then initially, I think we were hoping to launch all of this in April of 2020, but then COVID happened. And I think it was like a combination of like us feeling a little bit weird about like trying to make a big splash while, you know, the world is crumbling Mm -hmm. around us. But then there were also like certain things that we weren't like quite happy with. We have this thing at Stripe where we like keep saying that we want things to be surprisingly great. So I feel like a lot of companies like settle for good or great, but like at Stripe, it's always like, it needs to be surprisingly great. So even though we were like at a point where all of the pages like looked really good, they maybe felt a little bit too static. So it was like, oh, what if we like start animating the icons on these pages or like, what else can we do to just like bring this to life and like really like add that level of delight to the pages. And that in combination with um, a couple of people on the team, including me having really strong feelings about um, making this a global launch because at the time we were ready to launch it was english only um just because like the whole like infrastructure was new and we just like hadn't figured out yet how to do localization in this new system and that was just like a whole other beast to tackle but i just feel like stripe is a global company we have users all over the world i just thought it would be a shame to launch a website that then would be like us and uk only so anyone else who would go to stripe.com mm. would still see the old version um so then we ended up pushing it out by a few months um just to be able to like give that full experience to our users and then we ended up shipping it i i believe in june or july of 2020 so like almost a year and a half later after we kicked off like the initial project but it became like such a much bigger project than we ever yeah, yeah, thought yeah. it was gonna be i think people are gonna be really like interested to hear this and also like when you think about it it's not surprising to think that okay all these little details that we see on the stripe site and like why everyone is inspired by it and why it looks so great is because you took this time you know like if you'd launched after six months when you're like yeah design probably done it wouldn't have probably made the impact it did on the design industry and on 
Stripe as a company and for the brand reputation as well. But because you took that extra time, I just feel like yeah. it really paid off and that you can see it yeah. in the design. I, I do want to call out that I feel like we're so privileged as like designers at Stripe that like we're allowed to have this time to work on projects. And it's like, mm. you can see this when like we work with like the executive team, like they really care about like Stripe design and they care about keeping that bar high. And it's like, it's often Patrick that is like telling us like, oh, this is great, but can it be better? And like, he means this in like the best possible way, but he definitely pushes yeah. us to to do better, which we then end up doing. But yeah, I feel like a lot of companies just don't have that luxury. So we're, yeah. we're lucky. Or like, it's just not part of the strategy or cynicism as important as yeah. it is at Stripe. Clearly. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense too, that you've got that executive top level buy-in. Yeah. Uh, that's usually, I think usually the companies that do best with design have that because if the leader of the company appreciates and values design, it's more easy for us to get the resources and like time we need to do great things. Exactly. Um, how does the build process work? We we sort of talked about the engineers then becoming part of the team. Is there like a handoff that you do to the engineers? Do they sort of start while you're still refining content? What does feedback process look like for the build? Because I imagine, I'm just guessing, that the Stripe, like what we see on the web, looks very similar to what was in your design file. It seems pretty fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that's a great question. So we um, work in parallel a lot. So our engineers, because we're all part of the same team, are involved in like almost every step of the process. So from like the kickoff meeting where we go over the brief to like the user interviews, like even when designers start designing things, like oftentimes we'll have some ideas for animations and then we'll do like a brainstorm that usually includes like our marketing partners, the engineers and the designers. And we all start like talking about like what we think is possible. Oftentimes then like when we're still designing things, the engineers like go off and like start prototyping some things, um, which is really helpful because then we also like immediately like know some of the limitations because maybe we had some like crazy ideas and they're like, oh, actually that's not going to be possible. Like oftentimes it's like, it's not possible within the timeline because um, I think everything is possible, you know, eventually, but not yeah. always within the <laughs> timeline. Um, so yeah, a lot of parallel work. And then I want to say usually when the design is in about like maybe a 60 to 80% stage where like the page structure is like really solid, they start scaffolding the pages. So really building out the structure without mm. the visuals, because usually the visuals are the things that um, change the most. This is important for us because that means like once we have um, all the content in code, we also start kicking off the localization process. So then we can send all those like text strings to the localization team. And because they need to like, I think generally they need, they need about two weeks to send that back. But then um, before we ship something, we need to do um, QA for like all languages. So that takes a lot of time as well. Ooh. So there's like, yeah, there's a lot of work that needs to happen in parallel so we can launch those pages in all languages with like all visuals being translated so yeah there's there's a lot that goes into it yeah that is that's a big process i didn't even think about that we we just put our site up in english at convert kit and so that's localization is not something we've thought about yet yeah it's um, it's challenging like yeah it sounds challenging yeah. but i love that you do it i yeah. love that you focus on it like you said stripe's very global and it makes sense what happens after you launch how close are you to the metrics of the site is there anything you're held accountable to or responsible for when it comes to metrics on the website okay so I'm hearing two questions. So first, like what happens after launch? Usually after yep. launch, 
we just watch Twitter and like look at how excited <laughs> people are, even though they keep telling us Twitter is not a real metric, but for us it is. It's just, it's always really nice to see how people react um, to our work. But that said, like our Twitter audience is probably not our core user audience. So we definitely mm -hmm. can't use that as a metric. But usually at the beginning of a project, we collaborate with the marketing team to set some like metrics we want to hit. And I think most of the time they are just like the amount of signups or conversion that we're looking for. And those are mostly owned by the marketing team. So after launch, like they'll be just following up on that and just keeping track and making sure that we hit whatever you know, milestones we set for ourselves. But from like a design and engineering point of view, usually after launch, we have a lot of like what we call fast follows. Um, so like little bugs that come up because like the one like flip side of having so many like eyes on all of these launches on Twitter is that a lot of people also end up like reporting little bugs like on this like weird version of Safari or like on like an Android phone that we didn't look at. So we keep getting like a lot of bug reports. So usually like the week after launch, we just like gather all that information into a paper doc or like some other document um, and kind of start going through just like getting through that feedback and trying to just fix as much as we can. How how long do you allow for that fast follow period? You know, because I mean, nothing's ever going to be perfect, right? And I'm sure stuff comes up and then you look at the data and you find, oh, this maybe isn't converting as much as we thought and maybe we should improve this. Like it's a constant thing. Yeah. How, how long do you give it before you're like, okay, no, we're going to, Put a pin in this now and move on to the next project. i think it's usually like a couple of days to a week before mm -hmm. those types of requests just become part of like our normal like intake of requests because we right. get so many like requests like on a daily basis um and we have this amazing producer lindsay on the team that goes through them because they all come in through jira and i do not want to like be near jira <laughs> in any way so it's really nice that she does that for us but yeah and then we kind of just like decide which ones we want to prioritize and which ones um are just like not a priority at the time because yeah we can't do everything unfortunately yeah unfortunately we wish we could okay yeah. well that answers my question about um managing projects and project management sounds like you have a producer on the team who helps keep things on track in that way um is there any team collaboration tools that you use to to like see lists of things yourself um yeah we, aside from yeah Jira? we use product board <laughs> a lot um but that's more for like mm -hmm. planning just like see what's in the pipeline and yep. what's coming up and then we actually use like Dropbox paper a lot just for our like day-to-day -day tasks and like feedback and QA docs and just like anything that we like we're looking at on like a daily basis a lot of that is in paper nice and I don't think I asked you as part of the the homepage well the site redesign um, process but what design tool are you working oh on? yeah so when we did Site 2020 redesign, everything was still in Sketch. So I think we only switched to Figma last, like, November, December, I want to say, even though, like, our okay. product design team had switched, like, way earlier. But for us, it was, like, so our team, because we're so small and we had done the redesign in Sketch, so we had built out the library in Sketch as well. And then we had so many pages to redesign, so it just felt like a really, like, daunting task to move over that library to Figma and then start redesigning all of those pages in a tool that we weren't really familiar with. But yeah, now we're fully converted over and we're doing everything in Figma, which is really nice for collaboration. That, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, there's two questions that come as part of this. Um, also as part of the, when we're talking about the 
process of the site 2020, you mentioned content and how like the homepage content changed a lot throughout the process. That's happened to me every time I've designed a homepage too. I feel like, you know, it's our most important welcome page. We've got to get it right. Who is actually the one working on the content for the page? Um, so that would be our marketing partners. So most of like most of the time mm-hmm. it's product marketing. Um, when we're talking about product pages, in this case, it was mostly Krithika, who's been on the marketing team for, I don't know, I want to say like eight years by now. She's done so much work on Stripe.com. She really like has that Stripe voice. Because I even remember when I joined Stripe, um, she interviewed me and I asked her, I was like, oh, like, who's the like copywriting team? Like, who does this? Because like the copy is so amazing. And she was just like, that, that would be me. <laughs> Like we're, we're very humble team. and like right now there's more more oh. people um that do write copy because like all the product marketers actually write the copy just because yeah it's every product page is so like technical and so specific that you really need someone that is like very like knee deep into the subject to be able to write about it so I think having a more centralized writing team wouldn't really work I mean maybe in the future that's what we'll go for but I think right now having the people who really like know about the subject, write about the subject is, is the best way for us to go. And how much influence can you have on the content of a page too? You know, like when you were in your initial sprint and drafting at the homepage, I'm sure you had like, you know, we want a big section here, probably about this. How much influence do you feel like you have over um, it? A lot actually. So usually when we cool. design wireframes, we design them based on like a story arc without even having any copy or content, but more like, okay, what's the story we want to tell to our users? And then we ask the marketing team to like, kind of look at that structure and like start filling out copy, but still not even thinking about how that would look like design-wise, just like, what do you want? Like in each section, like, what do you want to tell the user? And then it's very much like a collaboration of like, okay, so we have these components that we could use, like depending on the content. But I think a lot of it is like design pushing for a certain solution. Cause I think it's like, and I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with this where like, we want to have as little copy as possible on the page and marketing wants yeah. as much as, so it's like, but I actually think at Stripe, the marketing team is really good at understanding that just like less is more. No one's going to read it anyways, if you put a lot of copy on a page. So just don't even bother. We always start with having like a really long page and then once they see it, they're like, oh my God, that is so overwhelming. And we also end up doing a lot of user testing where we just put like wireframes or like like half-assed mock-ups in front of users. And we just like ask them to like scroll through it and just like kind of think out loud. And like, usually like 90% of the case, people are like, ooh, this is a lot. And then we're like, told you so. And then we can start like cutting copy a little bit. <laughs> oh, that's really interesting that you mentioned user testing there. Uh, how much does testing like whether it's user testing or a b testing come into play in your work um a whole lot like user testing drives like most of our decisions just because like all the product pages we build or just like even the products we build as stripe like as a designer we are just not the core audience so i feel Mm. like as a designer oftentimes you just kind of depend on like your gut feeling to make decisions but it's really hard yeah. to do that. Like the the last product I shipped was like a revenue recognition product for accounting. Like, I don't know anything about accounting. So like I can make as many assumptions as I want, but like I won't really know until like we talk to users. Um, so yeah, you, you can learn so much from just like talking to a couple of users and like literally just like giving them the page and asking them like, like browse through this as you normally would and just like give us feedback. Just like any thoughts you have, like you won't be offensive, just like, 
tell us what you're thinking. With that one, it was actually really funny because we had a bunch of like visuals in there, like accounting related visuals. So with like a lot of numbers and it would be like looking at for two seconds and be like, yeah, th those numbers don't add up. And I'm like, it's just a mock-up. I don't know anything about accounting. But like they would notice that those types of things, um, which I loved because like I think generally we like we notice details and we care so much about details and we like love to include like little Easter eggs and stuff like that. So I love yeah. it when our users also notice that. Yeah, I like the Stripe product imagery. I notice that it's always, it feels real, yeah. you know, and I'm assuming it's not a real company's financials no. that you're showing on screen. Yeah. But it feels real, yeah. right? And that's important for imagining and like visualizing what the product does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can't show my customer's data, unfortunately. That would make my <laughs> life a lot easier instead of always having to come up with yeah. fake data and like redesigning the dashboard every time. But yeah. How do you how do you run these tests? Because something that I've found difficult is to to find the right like target audience to get on a call with or to like show a design to. Can you tell us a little bit about your process for running a user? Yeah, test? that's actually um, a really big challenge. I think it's much easier for product design because they can just reach out to existing users. But our target exactly. audience is like usually users that aren't on Stripe yet. Mm -hmm. So we usually try, actually, when I say we, it's mostly marketing that does the reach out to users. It's usually like through connections or through like early sales conversations. Sometimes, I mean, for instance, with the most recent launch with the RevRec launch, like that's a product that's more like an add-on to, like our audience was existing Stripe users that want to start using this. So in this case, we right. were so able to, yeah. yeah. But I don't think we found a perfect solution yet. Like a lot of it is just like reaching out, but then sometimes it's awkward because then they're using like a competitor and they don't want to talk to us or or they're, they've tried <laughs> to use us and for some reason stopped using us. Yeah, unfortunately, mm. I don't have a great answer for that. Well, it's just nice to know that it's not just a challenge that I face and that like Stripe even has this problem. Yeah. So, you know, it's not surprising that I you too i'm sure other listeners will be thinking the same thing yeah. <laughs> we have to talk about as well like we've touched on it several times throughout this episode already but the impact that stripe has on the design industry you said that that's one of the main things that you do once a launch happens is that you watch for the feedback and it's sort of that that anic data right is what people are saying about it stripe is known for setting trends and I'm curious to know how conscious you and the team are of this when you're designing something. How much does this play on your mind that in those early phases of the sprint or when you're refining a site and getting ready to ship it, you know, right, that this is going to be something that people copy. How much do, do you think about that during the process? I actually, I I don't really think about that part. I think the thing that I focus on the most, and I think I'm, I'm speaking for the entire team and even the people um, that have left by now is... It's not the idea of setting new trends, but it's the idea of like having that like really high quality bar and, and keeping that bar mm -hmm. high. So it's not about doing like something new or different, but it's it's about like consistently delivering like the quality work that is like what I mentioned, like the surprisingly great part. And mm -hmm. I think by trying to reach for that, you just get to solutions that maybe other people haven't thought of. Um, but I think another really big part, which we already touched on is like, the user feedback. I think it's like, I personally don't really look at like websites like Dribbble or Side Inspire. I like definitely used to when I was like a design student because I loved seeing all that inspiration. But the, the things you see on there aren't necessarily designed for our users. Like we have such a specific user base mm. with like such specific needs. So like, I think for us, it's more valuable to like talk to our users and learn from our users and just like take that feedback and try to be creative with like the input we get from them versus trying to see what other people are doing. Cause like 
something someone else might doing might work for them, but it will most likely not work for us. It's like the design version of keep your eyes on your own paper, yeah. you know, and just focus on what you're yeah. doing. But like people also <laughs> often ask me like where I get my inspiration. And I always tell them like, I honestly just get it from like going outside and like people who follow me on Twitter will know this. Like I, I try to head to the mountains as often as I can. Like even like, was it yesterday? No, on Monday, um, I was kind of like stuck at work and like, I just, you know, like sometimes you just can't be creative. So I just like left at three, went up to the mountains and had this like amazing sunset. And it's just like, these colors are so amazing. It's just like such a great opportunity, like for photography and just like clearing your head. And then Tuesday I got back to work and I was like, cool. I have a clear head again. I can I can do this again. Mm. Um, so I would definitely recommend people if they're able to go outside to just really just get outside. And definitely follow Tatiana on yes. Twitter for the mountain yes. photos lots as of, well. That's it. <laughs> okay, so there we go. Yeah. That's the secret sauce then for Stripe Design, why it's so great. Yeah. It's like you got to go outside exactly. more, you know, and get inspired by nature. I love it. I'm curious to know how it feels, though, as a designer to have your work inspire a trend or, like you said, end up being copied across other sites how does that feel for you it's definitely flattering i do feel like people are kind of giving us too much credit but maybe that's because <laughs> i know like how messy it is to like get to something like to to like you know a shippable yeah. state so i think they only see the end result and they're like oh my god this is amazing but by the time we ship something i'm like oh my god i'm so over this um, which i'm sure a lot of people can relate to um but it does it definitely. does add like <laughs> some pressure because I think especially with um, the company scaling so much and so Stripe is in hyper growth right now and a lot of yeah. teams are growing but they're not growing at like like equal pace um, so a lot of teams around us have been growing so for instance marketing has grown a lot over the last couple of years but my team hasn't so we've been getting so much more requests but then we don't have more designers to do it um, so I definitely think like that pressure of like keeping that bar high definitely weighs on me. And I think I also just like kind of feel like personally responsible for keeping that bar high, especially like after like BDC and Bill left, like I'm like now the like oldest person on my team. So I just, <laughs> I, I take it way too personal. So yeah, like anytime I see something that's about the ship that like isn't quite right yet, I like try to fix it or I just have nightmares mm. about it. And I'm sure that with, along with all the praise and the copying, being such a public, I don't know, whenever Stripe launches something new, it's going to, the whole design community is going to talk about it, you know, that comes with negatives as well as positives, right? How do you handle or like feel about the critique that you get? Or like, honestly, sometimes it's not critique and it's just downright insults isn't yeah. it, that people I, will say about designs. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie. I definitely like take them personally, but sometimes they're also like call outs mm. that are just like, they're right, but we made, like, we just have more context on, like, why we made certain decisions. And sometimes yeah. that is just, like, time frame that we, like, didn't have time to fix something. Or I know, mm. for instance, when, like, Site 2020 went live, there was a lot of feedback on accessibility. Um, and that was something we were, like, hyper aware of. And we like experimented with like trying to make all of our colors more accessible, but it's really hard to like achieve like an optimistic, vibrant and futuristic brand if you look like tone down the colors. And that said, it's also like all of our like content that is important to read is still accessible, but there's like certain elements on the page that yeah. are like 
you know, secondary content or like supporting content. And there we just like took the liberty to like go like, you know, artistic freedom. But we take that kind of stuff yeah. a lot more serious within the dashboard because like the dashboard is a tool that people use to like manage their finances every day. So um, you'll also see some like color differences, like the colors are like a little bit darker in dashboard, which is like exactly for like accessibility reasons. But yeah, I remember when like those types of comments came out, I was just like, I thought it was an annoying feeling because like, I know you're right and I wish there was a solution. Please tell me if you have a solution to like achieve both goals, but like we just haven't figured it out yet. Like you said, you have more context on the decisions and you knew what was purposeful about it. And I don't know, I think it's important to keep in mind whenever you receive critique from someone that you have more context. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Yeah. We've talked a lot about this, this site 2020, but I'm curious about like the other stuff as well, you know, and you mentioned that you have this producer who helps um, put things in Jira and then you prioritize together on what's to be worked on. But what can you tell us about the systems you have in place for getting the work done? Like, do you work in quarters or two week sprints or six week cycles or what's what's your framework for planning the work and and getting the work done yeah so um i think our like really big experiences kind of get planned out like on like a yearly basis but then within that we'll do like mm-hmm. quarterly planning and that's mostly um our producer with the managers with partner teams sitting together and just like figuring out like how many projects we can take on based on headcount and based on like you know future headcount and then we kind of settle on like okay these will be the big milestones we'll be working on um but then there's like a whole separate flow of just like jira requests coming in which are just like smaller updates or you know like little like pricing updates or localization updates or swapping out a user logo or like we have a lot of like um ui from our users on the website and like if they change their ui we have to change the ui so we definitely keep like part of our time for those types of things but we don't like we've definitely done some sprints in the past it's not something we do on a regular basis generally we have one designer for big projects so it's usually when you see one of those landing pages go live you can assume that it was the focus of one designer but we we just like collaborate so much like internally we're like a really small team so it's like really easy to even like on slack just be like chatting about things or do like a quick zoom meeting to talk through things or go through like more official like critique um moments but yeah that's kind of how we work on things and i think generally designers have like at least one to two sometimes more projects going on at the same time just because you can't always continue to work on one project. Like sometimes you're waiting for like a marketing review or you're waiting for like your marketing partner to like finish up writing some copy. So um, it's nice to have a couple of projects so then you can like switch from one to the other. And also sometimes you just get really stuck on a project and you need to be doing something yeah. else. But then you just go to the mountains. <laughs> ah, yes, yes, that's right. We learned yes. that earlier. I need to yes. remember that. <laughs> cool. So what's coming up next then for the WPP team? You've just done this huge redesign. How long will it be? to you start a next one and uh, yeah what's coming up next for you I don't even want to be thinking about the next one yet but uh, there's actually (laughs) a lot of things coming up for the team we are going to grow the team a lot so if anyone's interested in joining the team um, start.com slash jobs has all of them listed I think we're about to hire at least 80 more people um, through the end of the year or well I'm saying this this is September now so I don't know when this will be live but yeah lots of people to hire (laughs) but we're also gonna expand the WPP team we're about to start an events team which is kind of coming out of the idea of like doing our sessions user conference like virtually this year we really learned that there's not a lot of good like online conference like ways to do it on the internet and we just figured that 
that's an opportunity for us to like make that better. Uh, yeah. We actually um, had our internal conference virtually this year as well. And we just built this amazing like internal way. I, it's it's hard to talk about it without seeing it, but it was just like a very like interactive way of watching a conference. And I think we want to do a lot more of that kind of stuff. Um, so we'll have an events team that sits within WPP. So it's going to be focused on like the online presence of events. Um, we're also spin spinning up an experimentations team within the experiences team. So within my team, we're going to hire more people to really focus on experiments. So that can be focusing more cool. on like A-B testing, um, but also just like experimenting in different ways. So yeah, we're going to grow the team a lot. And we just, we just want to do a lot of more cool stuff in the future. And we need so many more people to help us do that. There we go. So if anyone has been listening and thinking like, dang, I want to take part in these sorts of projects and work with Tatiana, stripe.com slash job. Yes, you said is the place, the place to go. To Maybe just to end off, you could share with us something that you're really proud of from your time at Stripe. I'm sure you're proud of many of your design projects because, I mean, everything comes out looking beautiful from Stripe and surprisingly great, like we said. But yeah, what what's a, a project or an impact that, that you're most proud of from your time so far? Yeah, I mean, I'm honestly just the most proud of what we've accomplished as a really small team. Like everyone on the team is just like, just a gem doing such good work like they're all such great collaborators like talking about everyone like designers engineers is just yeah we yeah I'm very proud of everyone and I love working with them and it is surprising to hear how you know how relatively small the team is working on the web platform considering the size of Stripe as a company and considering you know the impact that your designs have so yeah I hope this has been inspiring for a lot of people to to hear about what you can get done with a small team if you allow the time for it and have the right processes in place for it. Yeah, that's very well said. And where should people go to find you online? What What's your Twitter handle? Where do you want people to find you and your mountain photos? Um, yeah, I post a lot of photos on Twitter. So my Twitter handle is at um, TatsVC. It's really weird because like VC is such a like common term in like the tech industry, <laughs> but it's really just my last name. It's Van Kampenhout. So it's like, I don't know. I wish I could change my Twitter handle, but I can't. And then <laughs> I also post a lot of photos on my Instagram. Instagram, which is actually linked from my Twitter. I actually don't post that much about design, so I'm sorry about that. I'll try to be better about it. But I, I definitely find all of the photos and the mountains very inspiring. So if, if you want to see those, definitely follow me. And like you said, they have been the secret sauce to the design exactly. as well. So this could be people's way to get them without um, going to exactly. the mountains themselves. <laughs> well, thanks so much for everything you shared, Tatiana. This is like, I have been fascinated. I hope the listeners have been as well. I've written down plenty of notes of things I want to try and change about my process. But yeah, thanks for sharing a little bit of the behind the scenes of the great design we see. Yeah, you're very welcome. I hope this was helpful to the listeners as well. I hope you found it valuable to hear so much great detail about the process that went into the design of Stripe's 2020 website. What's clear to me is that the Stripe team sets very high standard for themselves and that high standard of design has a big impact on the feelings of quality and reliability that the Stripe brand has too. As always, I would love to hear your takeaways from the episode. Please leave them in the comments or tag me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm at Charlie Prangley on both of those things. And if you need a tool that will help you put together a high quality build for your designs, check out our sponsor, Webflow at insidemarketingdesign.co slash Webflow. I really appreciate their support of the show and I appreciate yours too. If you're enjoying it, if you've been enjoying season two so far, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review or just pass this episode on to a design friend who you think might benefit from it. I'd really appreciate that. Thanks for listening and I'll see you in the next one.